Chapter 9 of Six Years with the Texas Rangers, 1875 to 1881. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Stephen R. Gagan. Six Years with the Texas Rangers, 1875 to 1881 by James B. Gillette. Chapter 9, Sam Bass and his Train Robber Gang. Part 1. Sam Bass, the noted train robber, was born in Indiana July 21, 1851. He came to Texas while quite a youth and worked for Sheriff Everhart of Denton County until he reached manhood. While still an exemplary and honest young man, Bass came into possession of a small race pony, a little sorrel mare. On Saturday evenings, when most of the neighborhood boys met in Denton, Bass raced his pony with much success. Mr. Everhart soon noticed that Sam was beginning to neglect his work because of his pony, and knowing only too well what this would lead to, he advised Sam to sell his mare. Bass hesitated, for he loved the animal. Finally, matters came to such a point that Mr. Everhart told Sam he would have to get rid of the horse or give up his job. Thereupon, Bass promptly quit, and this was probably the turning point in his life. Bass left Denton County in the spring of 1877 and traveled to San Antonio, here, many cattlemen were gathered to arrange for the spring cattle drive to the north. Joel Collins, who was planning to drive a herd from Ubalde County to Deadwood, Dakota, hired Bass as a cowboy. After six months on the trail, the herd reached Deadwood and was sold and all the cowboys paid off by Mr. Collins. At that period, Deadwood was a great wide-open mining town. Adventurers, gamblers, mining, and cattlemen all mingled together. Though Joe Collins had bought his cattle on credit and owed the greater part of the money he had received from them to his friends in Texas, he gambled away all the money he had received for the herd. When he sobered up and realized all his money was gone, he did not have the moral courage to face his friends and creditors at home. He became desperate, and with a band of his cowboys held up and robbed several stagecoaches in the Black Hills. These robberies brought Collins very little booty, but they started Sam Bass on his criminal career. In the fall of 1877, Collins, accompanied by Bass, Jack Davis, Jim Berry, Bill Heffridge, and John Underwood, better known as Old Dad, left Deadwood and drifted down to Ogallala, Nebraska. Here he conceived, planned, and carried into execution one of the boldest train robberies that ever occurred in the United States up to that time. When all was ready, these six men, heavily armed and masked, held up the Union Pacific train at Big Springs a small station a few miles beyond Ogallala. The band attended the express car and ordered the messenger to open the safe. The latter explained that, though the safe had a time lock, it could only be opened at the end of the route. One of the robbers then began to beat the messenger over the head with a six-shooter, declaring he would kill him if the safe were not open. Bass, always of a kindly nature, pleaded with the man to desist, declaring he believed the messenger was telling the truth. Just as the robbers were preparing to leave the car without a cent, one of them noticed three stout little boxes piled near the big safe. The curious bandit seized a coal pick and knocked off the lid to the top box. To his great joy and delight, he exposed $20,000 in shining gold coin. The three boxes each held a similar amount, all in $20 gold pieces of the mintage of 1877. After looting these boxes, the robbers went through the train and in a systematic manner robbed the passengers of about $5,000. By daylight, the bandits had hidden their booty and returned to Ogallala. They hung around town several days while railroad officials, United States Marshals, 
and sheriff's parties were scouring the county for the train robbers. While in Ogallala, before and after the robbery, Collins and his men frequented a large general merchandise store. In this store was a clerk who had once been an express messenger on the Union Pacific and who was well acquainted with the officials of that company. I have forgotten his name, but I will call him Moore for the sake of clearness in my narrative. Of course, the great train robbery was the talk of the town. Moore conversed with Collins and his gang about the holdup, and the bandits declared that they would help hunt the robbers if there was enough money in it. Moore's suspicions were aroused, and he became convinced that Collins and his band were the real holdup men. However, he said nothing to anyone about this belief, but carefully watched the men. Finally, Collins came to the store and after buying clothing and provisions, told Mr. Moore that he and his companions were going back to Texas and would be up the trail the following spring with another herd of cattle. When Collins had begun a day's travel, Mr. Moore hired a horse and followed him. He soon found the route the suspects were traveling, and on the second day, Moore came upon them suddenly while they were stopping at a roadside farmhouse to have some bread cooked. Moore passed by without being noticed and secreted himself near the highway. In a short time, Collins and his men passed on, and Moore trailed them until they went into camp. When it was dark, the amateur detective crept up to the bandits, but they had gone to sleep, and he learned nothing. The next day, Moore resumed the trail. He watched the gang make their camp for the night and again crept up to within a few yards of his suspects. The bandits had built a big fire and were laughing and talking. Soon they spread out a blanket, and to Moore's great astonishment, brought out some money bags that emptied them upon the blanket, $60,000 in gold. From his concealed position, the trailer heard the robbers discuss the holdup. They declared that they did not believe anyone had recognized or suspected them and decided it was now best for them to divide the money, separate in pairs, and go on their way. The coin was stacked in six piles, and each man received $10,000 in $20 gold pieces. It was further decided that Collins and Bill Heffridge would travel back to San Antonio, Texas together. Sam Bass and Jack Davis were to go to Denton County, Texas, while Jim Berry and Old Dad were to return to the Berry home in Mexico, Missouri. As soon as Mr. Moore had seen the money and he heard the robber's plans, he slipped back to his horse, mounted and rode day and night to reach Ogallala. He notified the railroad officials of what he had seen, gave the names and descriptions of the bandits and their destinations. This information was sent broadcast over southern Nebraska, Kansas, Indian Territory, and Texas. In the fugitive list sent to each of the companies of the Frontier Battalion of Rangers, Sam Bass was thus described, 25 to 26 years old, 5 feet 7 inches high, black hair, dark brown eyes, brown mustache, large white teeth, shows them when talking, has very little to say. A few days after the separation of the robbers, Joel Collins and Bill Heffridge rode into a small place in Kansas called Buffalo Station. They led a pack pony. Dismounting from their tired horses and leaving them standing in the shade of the store building, the two men entered the store and made several purchases. The railroad agent at the place noticed the strangers right up. He had, of course, been advised to be on the lookout for the train robbers. He entered the store and in a little while engaged Collins in conversation. While talking, the robber pulled his handkerchief out of his coat pocket and exposed a letter with his name thereon. The agent was a shrewd man. He asked Collins if he had not driven a herd of cattle up the trail in the spring. Collins declared he had, and finally, in answer to a direct question, admitted that his name was Joel Collins. Five or six hundred yards from Buffalo Station, a lieutenant of the United States Army had camped a troop of ten men and was scouting for the train robbers. As soon as Collins and Heffridge remounted and resumed their way, the agent ran quickly to the soldiers' camp, pointed out the bandits to the lieutenant, and declared, 
There go two of the Union Pacific train robbers. The army officer mounted his men and pursued Collins and Heffridge. When he overtook the two men, he told them their descriptions tallied with those of some train robbers that he was scouting for and declared that they would have to go back to the station and be identified. Collins laughed at the idea and declared that he and his companion were cattlemen returning to their home in Texas. They reluctantly turned and started back with the soldiers. After riding a few hundred yards, the two robbers held a whispered conversation. Suddenly, the two pulled their pistols and attempted to stand off the lieutenant and his troop. The desperados were promptly shot and killed. On examining their packs, the soldiers found tied up in the legs of a pair of overalls, $20,000 in gold, 1877 mintage. Not a dollar of the stolen money had been used, and there was no doubt about the identity of the men. Not long after the divide-up in Nebraska, Jim Berry appeared at his home in Mexico, Missouri. At once he deposited quite a lot of money in the local bank and exchanged $3,000 in gold for currency, explaining his possession of the gold by saying he had sold a mine in the Black Hills. In three or four days, the sheriff of the county learned of Berry's deposit and called at the bank to see the new depositor's gold. His suspicion became a certainty when he found Barry had deposited $20 gold pieces of 1877. At night, the sheriff with a posse rounded up Barry's house, but the suspect was not there. The home was well provisioned, and the posse found many articles of newly purchased clothing. Just after daylight, while searching about the place, the sheriff heard a horse whinny in some timber nearby. Upon investigating this, he suddenly came upon Jim Barry sitting on a pallet. Barry discovered the officer at about the same time and attempted to escape by running. He was fired upon, one bullet striking him in the knee and badly shattering it. He was taken to his home and given the best of medical attention, but gangrene set in and he died in a few days. Most of his $10,000 was recovered. Old Dad eventually quit Barry somewhere en route, for he made good his escape with his ill-gotten gain and was never apprehended. Sam Bass and Jack Davis, after the separation in Nebraska, sold their ponies, bought a light spring wagon and a pair of workhorses. They placed their gold pieces in the bottom of the wagon, threw their bedding and clothes over it, and in this disguise traveled through Kansas and in the Indian Territory to Denton County, Texas. During their trip through the territory, Bass afterwards said he camped within 100 yards of a detachment of cavalry. After supper, he and Davis visited the soldiers' camp and chatted with them until bedtime. The soldiers said they were on the lookout for some train robbers that had held up the Union Pacific in Nebraska, never dreaming for a moment that they were conversing with two of them. The men also mentioned that two of the robbers had been reported killed in Kansas. This rumor put Bass and Davis on their guard, and on reaching Denton County, they hid in the elm bottoms until Bass could interview some of his friends. Upon meeting them, he learned that the names and descriptions of every one of the Union Pacific train robbers were in possession of the law offices that Collins, Heffridge, and Berry had been killed, and that every sheriff in North Texas was on watch for Davis and himself. Davis at once begged Bass to go with him to South America, but Bass refused. So Davis bade Sam goodbye and set out alone. He was never captured. On his deathbed, Bass declared he had once received a letter from Jack Davis written from New Orleans, asking Bass to come there and go into business of buying hides. Bass left Denton County early in the spring, an honest, sincere, and clean young man. By falling with evil associates, he had become, within a few months, one of the most daring outlaws and train robbers of his time. Before he had committed any crime in the state, the offices of North Texas made repeated efforts to capture him for the big reward offered by the Union Pacific and the Express Company, but owing to the nature of the county around Denton and his friends Bass had as long as his goal lasted, met with no success. 
Bass's money soon attracted several desperate and daring men to him. Henry Underwood, Arkansas Johnson, Jim Murphy, Frank Jackson, Pipes Hendren, and Collins, the last one a cousin of Joel Collins, and two or three others joined him in the Elm Bottoms. Naturally, Bass was selected as leader of the gang. It was not long before the outlaw chief planned and executed his first train robbery in Texas. That at Eagle Ford, a small station on the TP Railroad a few miles out of Dallas. In quick succession, the bandits held up two or three other trains, at the last, I believe, being at Mesquite Station, 10 or 12 miles east of Dallas. From this robbery, they secured about $3,000. They met with opposition here, for the conductor, though armed with only a small pistol, fought the robbers to a farewell and slightly wounded one of them. The whole state was now aroused by the repeated train holdups. General Jones hurried to Dallas and Denton to look over the situation, and strange to say, he arranged to organize a company of rangers at Dallas. Captain June Pink, a very able officer, was given the command. No matter how brave a company of recruits, it takes time and training to get results from them. And when he saw this raw company was thrown into the field against Bass and his gang, the bandit leader played with it as a child plays with toys. Counting the 30 rangers and different sheriff's parties, they were probably 100 men in pursuit of the Bass gang. Sam played hide-and-seek with them and all, and it is said never ranged any farther west than Stevens County or further north than Wise. He was generally in Dallas, Denton, or Torrent counties. He would frequently visit Fort Worth or Dallas at night, ride up with his men to some outside saloon, get drinks all around, and then vamoose. Finally, in a fight at Salt Creek, Wise County, Captain June Peake and his rangers killed Arkansas Johnson, Bass's most trusted lieutenant. Either just before or soon after this battle, the rangers captured Pipe Hendren and Jim Murphy and drove Bass and his two remaining companions out of North Texas. At that time, the state had on the frontier of Texas six companies of veteran rangers. They were finely mounted, highly equipped, and were the best mounted police in the world. Any company of the line could have been marched to Denton in ten days, yet they were never moved one mile in that direction. Any one of those highly trained commands could have broken up the Sam Bass gang and half the time it took a command of new men. After the fight on Salt Creek, only Sam Bass, Sabe Barnes, and Frank Jackson were left of the once formidable gang. These men had gained nothing from their four train robberies in North Texas and were so hard-pressed by the officers of the law on all sides that Bass reluctantly decided to leave the country and try to make his way to Old Mexico. Through some pretended friends of Bass, General Jones learned of the contemplated move. He, with Captain Peake and other officers, approached Jim Murphy, one of Bass's gangs captured at about the time of the Salt Creek fight, who was awaiting trial by the federal authorities for train robbery and promised they would secure his release if he would betray Bass. Murphy hesitated and said his former chief had been kind to his family and given them money and provisions, and it would be ungrateful to betray his friend. The general declared he understood Murphy's position fully, but Bass was an outlaw, a pest to the country who was preparing to leave the state and so could no longer help him. General Jones warned Murphy that the evidence against him was overwhelming and was certain to send him to federal prison, probably for life, and exhorted him to remember his wife and children. Murphy finally yielded and agreed to betray Bass and his gang at the first opportunity. According to the plan agreed upon, Murphy was to give bond, and when the federal court convened at Tyler, Texas a few weeks later, he was not to show up. It would then be published all over the country that Murphy had skipped bond and rejoined Bass. This was carried out to the letter. 
Murphy joined Bass in the Elms Bottom of Denton County and agreed to rob a train or bank and get out of the country. Some of Bass's friends, suspicious of Murphy's bondsman, wrote Sam that Murphy was playing a double game and invited him to kill the traitor at once. Bass immediately confronted Murphy with these reports and reminded him how freely he had handed out his gold to Murphy's family. Bass declared he had never advised or solicited Jim to join him and is said it was a low-down, mean, ungrateful trick to betray him. He told Murphy plainfully, if he had anything to say, say it quickly. Barnes agreed with his chief and urged Murphy's death. The plotter denied any intention of betraying Bass and offered to take the lead in any robbery Bass should plan and be the first to enter the express car or climb over the bank railing. Bass was mad and so was Barnes. They elected to kill the liar at once. Frank Johnson had taken no part in the conversation, but he now declared that he had known Murphy since he was a little boy and he was sure Murphy was sincere and meant to stand by them through thick and thin. Bass was not satisfied and insisted that Murphy be murdered then and there. Jackson finally told Bass and Barnes that they could not kill Murphy without first killing him. Although the youngest of the party, Frank, was only 22 years old, Jackson had great influence over his chief. He was brave and daring, and Bass at the time could not very well get along without him, so his counsel prevailed and Murphy was spared. The bandits then determined to quit the country. Their plan was to rob a small bank somewhere en route to Old Mexico and thus secure the funds needed to facilitate their escape, for they were all broke. End of chapter 9, part 1.